a debate arose over, it was known as the Lordship Salvation Debate, and it centered around, basically it kind of came down to two, two prominent Christian leaders. One was uh, by the name, a man by the name of Zane Hodges. The other one was uh, the man, a man by the name of John MacArthur. I would say many of you are familiar with MacArthur, and, and many of you may be familiar with Hodges. The, the center of the bay, basically what it, what it centered around was the question, can someone come to Christ as Savior but not follow him as Lord until later in their life? So could someone get saved and not live for Christ and then later submit to him as the Lord of their life? And so this debate, I mean, it just really, it, it, it got pretty, um, pretty inflamed, I guess. I mean, it got pretty intense. Uh, and, and Hodges wrote a book, and then MacArthur wrote a book in response to that. His book, in The Gospel According to Jesus, I would highly recommend that book. Uh, just a, a solid, great book to read. But, but the question that MacArthur addresses in the book is Hodges' question. Hodges came down on the side that you can be saved and not pursue Christ as Lord. And MacArthur proves, in, in my opinion and the opinion of many, a kind of a, a case-closed uh, proof of the fact that, that when you come to Christ, you come to Christ with him as your Savior and your Lord. You, you pursue him as Lord. You submit to live life in Christ and following Christ. The call of Christ was what? To follow me. And, and the, the call of Romans 10 night is, is if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord. And, and throughout the Gospels, we see an emphasis in, in submitting to Christ as Lord. Is he our Savior? Yes. But the overwhelming evidence, the overwhelming thrust of the Gospels and the thrust of the New Testament is Christ as Lord. And so, so we come to a point tonight where we look at what does it mean to pursue Christ as Lord? And how do we do that? How do we walk in Christ? And this, this debate was important. I think it was important for the church. It's been healthy for the church. I think sometimes God, God allows the church to go through things of this nature, the, these theological debates, and, and wrestle through topics like this for the, own, their, the health of the church. Because we're, we're better for it and we have these resources now handed, it does not ignore, I, I want to say this up front, it does not ignore the fact there's times where we just flat out struggle as believers with sin. We, we go through times of, of tripping up, we go through times of wrestling with sin. Paul himself confessed that and admitted that in Romans 7. And, and it, it does not ignore that. We, we see the example of the prodigal son, that the, the son that went away and he never stepped outside of being the identity of a son. He was always the, he was always a part of the family. And, and so we know that there is, there is instances in Scripture we have to understand there's times where we struggle. But the consistent teaching of Scripture is that when we come to Christ, when we are saved and adopted into Christ's family, then we pursue him and live in him. And that's where we come to tonight in Colossians. Paul, Paul's expressed his care for the church. He's expressed the supremacy of Christ in chapter 1. And, and now he turns to a very practical teaching a, a practical instruction time instruction to the church at Colossae through the rest of the book and, and tonight that's where we turn our attention let's pray real quick before we move on into the word God we come before you tonight and God I just ask that you would open our eyes to your truth God over the last few weeks in Colossians God we've looked at just the supremacy of Christ we, we've looked at some, some great theology and, and of our salvation, of being reconciled to you. 
But God, now Paul turns our attention to, to the practical living out of our faith. And God, we pray now that you would open our eyes to better understand how we can pursue you and follow you and live for you, for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name, amen. I want to ask you to turn open to Colossians 2 tonight. And I want to read to you the first five verses of 2. We, we actually covered these briefly two weeks ago, and I want to read these verses to you so we can get back in context of what's going on in Colossians since we stepped out of it last week. Paul says this in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Paul, Paul starts out and he simply... He simply shares the agony that he has for the church, the deep care and investment that he has in the church, the struggle he has on their behalf. And, and he just shares his heart. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. And, and his desire in verse 2, he says he desires for their hearts to be encouraged and that they would be unified. He, he has this desire for the health of the church, that the individual believers would encourage one another and that as a body they would be unified, that they would have an understanding of the mystery of Christ. And we talked about that mystery being the fact that God has made the gospel known to the Gentiles. It's no longer just the Jews, but he is making the gospel known to the Gentiles. And Paul says, I want you to understand that mystery. I, I'm appointed as an apostle of this mystery, and I want you to understand this. I want you to have a full realization of what that mystery is. And for us tonight, the key is in verse 4. The, the purpose of this, the purpose of his struggle, and the purpose of him writing that and telling them that is that in order that no one would delude them. Paul has a desire that no one, no false teaching would delude them. Okay, and we, we talked a little bit about that, and you'll, you'll hear more about that next week as we jump into Colossians 2.8. But, but his desire is that no one would, would delude them and, and that they would not sell out to any false doctrines, any false worldviews or philosophies. And, and it's interesting, Colossians, that the, the exact attack on the church is not really pinpointed. We don't really know what, what exactly was being hit. What, what exactly was coming, was coming to the people? What were they being challenged with? We don't know. But we know what guards them from those false worldviews. And that's the belief in the supremacy of Christ. So verse 4 is the key. Paul's the desire that no one would delude them. And the therefore in verse, four, or in verse uh, 6 refers to that. So this leads Paul to our passage tonight, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. 1, 15 through 20 is, is the theological center and heart of the book. It's the foundation of the book. 2, 6, and 7 is the practical heart of the book. It's the practical center of the book, where Paul moves from this deep, rich theology to saying, listen, here's, here's what you base your life on. Here's what you found your life on. Now here's how you live in view of that. Here's how you follow Christ. Here's how you live in Christ. So let's pick up in verse 6 and 7 tonight. Therefore, as you have received Jesus the Lord... Je sorry, if you... <laughs> I'll just start over on that one. Therefore, <laughs> as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted 
and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude here we're confronted with with this pauline theology paul's theology is is simply this that that belief that does not have impact on behavior is useless Paul knows nothing of this mere intellectual belief that, that would be separate from the way we live. In, in Paul's life, in the life of the New Testament, all the New Testament writers, our belief, our doctrine goes right along with the way we live, with our praxis. Okay? And, and here we get right into that, that Paul says, therefore, therefore, live in Christ. Just, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, so live in him. So live in him. So we're going to look at that first phrase in verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Our, our inclination is to read this merely with modern eyes and, and say, okay, he's talking about just a, a faith in Christ, coming to Christ, accepting Christ. And, and that's surely included here, but it doesn't get to the, the depth and the, the real understanding, the full understanding of what Paul's referring to. The, the term that Paul uses here is actually used to describe the, the transmission of teaching from one person or generation to another. Uh, throughout the New Testament, it's referred in that way. It's used in that way. Look at 1 Corinthians. Well, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 says this. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's the same exact usage here, and it's used about four times in the, in the New Testament in that same way, that, that it's, a, it's a transmission of teaching it is passed down it, it comes from the the rabbinic judaism they had the idea that that they faithfully transmitted the teachings of god and, and these teachings were passed down from key historical teachers and leaders so they they would say they would trace it back all the way to the key leaders the key people the key men of god say moses and isaiah they would trace it back and say as isaiah as mosaic mosaic moses as these men taught so i teach you and they would find their source in these men of God. And so this same line of thinking is incorporated here by Paul that, that it is passed down again, but the source is not from a, a rabbi. The source is not even from a prophet of God or from Moses. The source is from Christ Jesus himself. Again, we see it used the same way in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I re, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul says he received this from the Lord it is a teaching. What is that teaching? The core truths of the gospel. Wrong, um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the teaching of who Christ is. The, the teaching that God has reconciled us to himself, the Father has reconciled us to himself through Christ, through the work of Christ on the cross. The core teachings of the gospel, that is what has been passed down and transmitted. Listen, we, we can't miss this point. We can't miss this, that we have a responsibility to preserve the integrity of the gospel. We have a responsibility, adults, we have a responsibility to pass that down in truth to our children. Adults that don't have children in here, we have the responsibility to pass that down to the young men and women in our church, that they would see the integrity of the gospel. Why is it important for us to lay a solid foundation in the children's and youth ministry? Why? Because we take seriously passing down the doctrine as Scripture teaches it. We want them to know the gospel as the Word of God teaches it. Not as some televangelist teaches it. We don't want, to know, want them to know the gospel of a bookstore. 
We want them to know the gospel, the good news of God. That's what we want them to know. Our task is not to just produce moral kids that seek after the American dream and have an easy life. Our task is to pass down the truths of Scripture. To instill in them and pass down that we live for the glory of God alone. That we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that we base our worldview on Scripture alone. We, we want them to understand that, that just the core of Scripture. It's the idea of a generational faith. It's the idea that, that we pass that along. Just like Joshua as he crossed the Jordan River. They, they pass that along. And it says, listen, set up boundary markers. That when your children come after you and they ask, what, what is this for, Dad? That you would instruct them and tell them exactly what happened, what God did. That we would pass it to our children. That we would pass it to those coming behind us. Titus 2. Titus 2 instructs those of you who are older to teach those of us who are younger. And I know I'm getting in the middle range where I'm, you know, can, can go both ways on that and sometimes. But I... You know, I, I, I won't refer to, to you by name because I didn't ask your permission, but I sat in my office uh, several weeks ago with one of you, and we talked about that, and, and, and this individual said, I don't know if our young people really see me there. They really see, does it make a difference if I do that? I'm not the greatest teacher. And, and my response is, listen, this is Titus 2. Our young people need to see you there. Our young people need to see you do a ministry. When they see you doing ministry, it teaches them that the gospel has value. It teaches them that there's, there's more to life than being comfortable. There's more to life than, than being just in your comfort zone. That we have a call and a responsibility to take the gospel to our community in Hope Way and Colonial Village in Peru. They need to see that. So Titus 2 says, those of you who are in, in here, sitting here at Grace Matter Church that are older, teach those that are younger. The y older men teach the young men. Older women teach the young women. Disciple them, mentor them. Think, think about Paul's, Paul's reference to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. First dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. It was passed down to Timothy. It was passed down. And what does he say? He says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. That the is emphatic. It's emphatic. He doesn't say, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Lord. It's the Lord who's supreme over all creation. Again, going back to chapter 1, 15 to 20, that he is sovereign and supreme over all things. That's the God we pass down. That's the God that we tell our children about. It's not some watered-down, weak God who lacks power, control, and knowledge of the future. We pass down to the young people in Grace Baptist Church, and we pass down to our children the God who reigns supreme, the God who's mighty to save, the God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who's omnipotent. The God who created everything. The God who is Alpha and Omega. The God who is all-knowing and ever-present. 
That's the God we pass down. Not a weak, feeble God that lacks power. We pass the Lord down to our children. The Lord down to our children. The second half of verse 6, he says, So walk in him. So walk in him. Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. It's, it's a heart, as we said earlier, it's the heart of the practical side of following Christ. Walk is an imperative. It's a command. If you confess Christ, then you walk in Christ. There's no disconnect between belief and life. If we confess him, walk in him. I, you, you just don't see. You, we miss that. We miss it in the New Testament, this idea of going, oh, well, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, yeah. I go to Grace Baptist Church. And, and I live like an utter pagan all through the week. And then I come back on Sunday morning and I'm nice to everybody. We don't see that in Paul. We don't see that in the New Testament. I think, I think if, if, if the New Testament writers and the apostles, the people, the early church, walked in many of our churches and heard some of the things that we say and they, they just live life in Somerset, Kentucky at times, I think they would just walk out of town. I, I don't know if they'd walk out of town crying or laughing. I don't know. I, I really think they would probably be crying. The grievous state of so many, so many. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they don't walk in Christ. It's not just about intellectual knowledge. It's about living life for his glory. It's about answering the call of Christ, follow me. Follow me. Jesus didn't say, hey, know about me. Just know about me. That's, you're good to go. No, he said, follow me. Follow me. Live your life in me. It's throughout the New Testament, Galatians 5.16, Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. It's this idea of just walking life behind Him, following Him, submitting to Him. The New Testament calls us to live under Christ as Lord. That's the faith we profess. That's the gospel we submit to. That Christ has saved us by his grace and we answer the call to follow him. Follow him. Now listen, here's a, just a quick side note. You realize the importance of your walk in regards to what you pass down to those behind you. We talked with the parents last weekend and, and I, I made a comment to them and said, listen, you realize that, that what you model is what you teach as, as a parent I realize that, that the faith that I model for Sydney and Braden and Avery and Quattro is the, the, is the model that they learn it's what they're taught All right, it's what we refer to it right now at this point that's what they are taught If, if I'm going to try to teach my kids something and I never walk it, they're not going to learn what I tell them. They're going to learn what I show them. You, you see the importance here that we have to model for the children and the youth of this church the things we believe. So what does that mean practically? That means practically that if I say, hey, you know what, ministry is vital and evangelism and missions, those things are important. But all I do is, is just come and warm a seat on a Sunday night and a Sunday morning. What am I teaching them? 
It, it means that, that if I say, listen, God is an awesome God. And he's worthy of praise. And he is a holy God. And I'm thankful for that. He has saved me by his grace. Me, a wretched sinner, he saved me. And I stand up and I sing like my dog got ran over on the way to church. And our kids are going, really? Wow, you're excited to worship him? You know, I don't think we need to be fake in any way. But I just wonder, do we sing out of rote habit or do we sing out of rejoicing and thanksgiving? Do we worship because we stand in awe of God? Why do, why do we do the things we do? Are we modeling the things that we say we believe? Are we modeling? Are we walking in those? Let's move on to verse 7. I'm going to try not to confuse you with this but the, or confuse myself with this. It, the, the Greek does some really interesting things in verse 7. And, and I'm, stick with me. I, I am comfortable with you raising your hand if I confuse you because I don't want to confuse you on this, but I think we need to understand what the text does here. The first, Paul uses four participles to describe how we walk in Christ, okay? So in verse 7, he says, Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude, okay? So there's four participles there. He says, having been firmly rooted, that's the first one, being built up in him, that's the second one, established in your faith, that's the third one, and then overflowing with gratitude those are the four participles that paul uses here now here's what he does this is this is man this is really rich if we get it the first three participles are all in the passive voice if you're like me and you're not a genius on languages and english was a challenge for you like it was me let me explain the, the passive voice is when the subject undergoes the action of the verb okay so instead of instead of the subject doing the action the subject is undergoing the action Okay, does that make sense? And so Paul uses the, the passive voice in these first three participles, okay? So he says, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in him and established in your faith. Those three participles are all participles that are in passive, the passive voice, okay? And, and so basically, here's the deal, is that divine action is what is required for those things. That's not something that we do. It's not something we initiate. Is something that God is doing in us. Okay? So, so that built up, now having been rooted, we didn't do the rooting. We didn't do the building up. We don't do the, the, um, the establishing. God does that. It's passive. That's being done to us. It's being done to us. This, this is a, a neat thing. Think about Philippians 2, 12 through 13, where, where we're instructed to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul, Paul says, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But understand this, God is the one that's working in you. So, so I have a responsibility. I have a responsibility to work out my, my salvation in fear and trembling that I, I live out and I follow, I walk in Christ and I do this. But it's God who's working in me. It's God who's working in me to, to, to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is, a, this is an interesting thing in Scripture, an interesting thing for us to see. So let's talk about these, let's talk about these parcels. The first one, having been firmly rooted. Now, now I, I just told you, here's where I don't want to confuse you. 
you understand the, the first three in the passive voice, okay? This first one is unique and it stands alone from the next three because of its tense. The tense is perfect. And what the perfect tense does, it expresses continual results of an action completed in the past, okay? It is, it's continual results of an action completed in the past. So having been firmly rooted, okay? So you were firmly rooted in Christ in the past. God did that in the past. When did he do that in your life? When you confessed Christ and followed him as Lord. He rooted you in Christ. But that action is not just a standalone action in the past. When that happened, it had continuing results throughout the rest of your life. Okay? And so, so this is a standalone. The, the next three participles are in the present. They have continuing, ongoing action. So this first one, having been firmly rooted, that we are rooted in Christ, we are planted in him. This morning, we were urged not to let the root of bitterness take root in our heart. Not let bitterness take root in our heart. And Bill described, what is a root? He, he talked to us about what is a root? What's the purpose of a root? It's the same thing here, that we are rooted in Christ. We find our life, our value, our meaning, everything, our purpose in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ. Truth in Christ. Everything, we are rooted in Christ. Okay? It is salvation in Christ. God did it. We didn't do it. God did it. God saved us. If I did it, then I can get rid of it. God saved me. It's the work of God. When we are adopted into his kingdom, the transfer was complete. It was complete. But it has continuing results. That's the good news. It has continuing results in our life. When we find life in Christ, we're firmly planted in him. We're rooted in him. We're not shaken by the winds of false doctrine. And we're not shaken by the struggles of life because we're firmly rooted in Christ. Firmly rooted in him. Listen to Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Jeremiah says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. When we're saved by God, we're rooted in Him. How do we guard against false doctrine? We're rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ. Rooted in the gospel. The second thing Paul says there, he says, being built up in Him. Being built up in Him. Now this is present passive. Okay? So let's review. Present means what? It's a continuous, ongoing action. Okay, we're continuously being built up. Passive, who's doing it? God, not us, right? We're not doing it, it's, it's being done to us. Okay? So, so we understand we are a work in progress. A work in progress. Philippians 1, 6, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We are a work in progress. Christ is continually, progressively sanctifying us, making us more and more like him. A work in progress. This one, one commentator said this. He said, we are to dig deep into the soul of Christ, referring to the previous parts of being rooted in Christ. There, plan our lives and spend our remaining days becoming a building worthy of the foundation 
being built up in Christ? Are you and I seeing progress being built up in Christ? Are we seeing progress? The third one, being established in your faith. Being established in your faith. Again, this is present passive. It's continuous action being done by God. Being established in your faith. Faith here is a noun. You understand that faith in the New Testament, you need to look, is it being used as a noun? Or is it being used as a verb? Here, it's used as a noun. It's best understood the doctrines by which we came to believe the gospel. The, the truth of the gospel. Okay, it coincides with the, the next phrase, as you were instructed, as you were taught, some of your Bibles may have. Just as you were instructed, Paul says. What is he referring to when he says that? What is, he, what is he pointing them back to? He says, he says, being established in your faith, just as you were taught, what were they taught? They were taught the elementary truths of the gospel. They, they were just simply taught the gospel. Now, here, here's the thing. Do you find it strange that God establishes us in what we were originally taught? The, the, the truth of the gospel, isn't it interesting that that's what establishes us? just as we were taught back then. Paul says, listen, you know, Epaphras, do you remember from our introductory sermon on Colossians that, that Epaphras, Epaphras <laughs> brought the gospel to Colossae? You remember that? And, and Paul's liking it back and saying, listen, just as you were taught, when the gospel first came, just as you were taught, don't forget that. Be established in it. Here, here's, the, here's the nugget on that. The gospel, you understand, the gospel is so simple for the lost ear to hear. It's so simple. I mean, how, how much more simple can it get to, to look to someone and say, listen, you were created by God and he's a holy God and you sinned and violated his standard of holiness and are deserving of punishment and there's nothing you can do to get rid of that punishment. But God made a way and sent his son to take that punishment that all who believe in him but not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that's pretty simple. How many sermons would it take to cover the depth and the truth of that? I, unending. An infinite number. We will never, never mine the depth of that fully. Never. We never outgrow the truth of the gospel. We never get too mature for the gospel. We never get too mature to hear that Christ died for sinners like you and sinners like me. Never. It never gets old to sing of the amazing grace of our God. It never gets old to sing how great of a God we serve. It never gets old to sing that our God is mighty to save because it reminds us of the simplicity and the depth of the gospel. Be established in that. God is establishing us in this truth. Paul's final, final participle changes there. And I said the first three were passive. This last one is active. So this is present active. It's continuing, it has continuing action, but it's active. No longer is it being done to us this is action that we are doing. Overflowing with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. It's the only one he uses in the active voice. 
It is our response. Does thanksgiving pervade your life? Is your life marked by thanksgiving? Would somebody look to you and say, that is a thankful person. That is a person that's indebted to something or someone. Wow. I mean, and they, they, when they worship, they, they cry out to God and say, wow, what an awesome God. They, they are expressing the thanksgiving in their heart. Does thanksgiving drive your worship? Do, do I take my salvation for granted? Or do I look to Christ and just cry out, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank, thank, I, I am so undeserving. I am so undeserving of my salvation. Do we look to the goodness that God has shown us? I mean, look around. Look around. Now go flip on your TV and look around. I mean, we're, we're comfortable. We're comfortable. We, I mean, our, our biggest concern tonight was how we were going to balance the, the Kentucky-Carolina game and getting to church without missing any of it. Yeah, that's funny, I think. And I'm the biggest sports fan of us all. I mean, I am. But isn't it funny? That's our biggest concern in coming to worship. I mean, we're blessed. God has been so good to us in many ways, whether it's health or finances or giftedness. I don't know. Do we take that goodness and just turn and use it for our own sake and our own glory? Or do we express thanksgiving to God for that? Kent Hughes said this, Thankfulness is a good test of our spiritual state. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It is looking down, not up. A thankless spirit betrays a life which is no longer focusing on the greatness of Christ. It's looking down, not up. When we cease to be thankful, the simple truth is that we've taken our gaze off of Christ. Because when we look to our Lord and Savior, when we look to God who reigns supreme, how can we be anything but thankful for His goodness and His grace and His mercy that He's displayed? How can we? Praise God. Thank God for what he's done in your life. So here's the deal. As we close tonight, we stand in a transitional point in this series in Colossians. Or it's just going to get really practical. And it's kind of going to get in our face. And say, listen, if you confess Christ, if you have received this and you believe in Christ, then walk in him. And this is how. This is how. And we make this turn. We, we kind of round the corner knowing that God has rooted us in Him. Knowing that He is building us up in Him. Knowing that He establishes us in the simple truths of the gospel. And our response is thanksgiving to that. That our life would overflow in thankfulness for the grace of God. Because none of us deserved it. None of us. The worship team's going to come up and close us. And I pray that tonight, 
whether you find yourself in the valley or whether you find yourself on the mountaintop, that we would turn to Colossians 2, 6, and 7 and the rest of the book and be challenged and encouraged to walk in Christ by His grace and for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for the truth and the value in it, God. And God, I, I acknowledge, and I think everyone in here would acknowledge that there's times where it's easy just to slip into the habit of knowing, just knowing about you, and, and slipping into the routines of life and failing just to follow you and walk in you. But God, I, I just pray, God, that you would guard us from that. Guard us from taking our eyes off you. for taking your goodness and your grace and the work you've done in our life for granted, God. I pray that you would just overwhelm us with joy and thanksgiving for the truth of the gospel in our lives. For God, it's in Christ alone that we can stand. It's in Christ alone that we sing now. It's in his name we pray. Amen.